Wow, it's a great honor to be here. I mean, just to stand behind this podium and know that Stan Toussaint taught so many years here, and Taylor led us, and, you know, uh, Wayne teaches here, and Jim leads you guys now, and our great missionaries that uh, come and share from the Word of God and teach us and share in their ministry. It is a great honor. I mean, uh, I hope you people realize how blessed you are. You, you, are, you have great godly people leading you. I hope you feel that way after today. Um, I want you to know I, I went through an intense interview process with the, the class leadership. It lasted about 30 seconds. Um, they said, um, you teach uh, third and fourth graders here at Stonebriar, right? And you handle them. And I said, yes. And they says, and you teach inmates at Tarrant County Jail, right? And you handle them. Yeah. You'll fit right in the marathon. <laughs> so you take that for what it's worth. Um, but I, it is a great opportunity. I, I know many of you pray for the jail ministry, and I did want to take a little bit of time. That's great. I can't see the clock. We're here for a long time then. Whew. Um, you know, I did want to take a little bit of time to uh, share about my jail ministry. Um, how did I get started in it? Well, I've never been incarcerated, so let's clear that up. Um, when I was saved, God just put landmarks in that that was the ministry he wanted me to be in. Uh, some of you know my personal testimony. Uh, I was not saved till I was 40 years old. Um, Lisa and I were unequally yoked. I mean, Lisa's been saved since she was 10 years old. Now, she wasn't walking in obedience when she married me, and, uh, you know, we're, invo- we're involved in marriage uh, counseling here at the church, marriage foundations. We're a mentoring couple. We would never, we would never, uh, you know, tell somebody to get married that we're unequally yoked. But I think our marriage just shows the grace of God, and... Um, um, you know, Lisa, after we were married, we were married May 26, 1979. Right, Lisa? All right. Okay, you got the toughest part of my message down. <laughs> um, God started to call Lisa back to himself. And initially, she went back to church by herself. Um, he gave her great wisdom, great wisdom. She never, she never beat me over the head with the Bible. Uh, she knew that that wouldn't work. Um, but she had me promise one night, she says, if we ever have children, can we go to church as a family? We weren't trying to have children. We were actually preventing to have children. And I mean, she had her career, my career, you know, I thought it was pretty harmless. I said, sure, that's, that's fine. No. Lisa had to repent for marrying me. Okay, and that's a tough statement for a husband to make that his wife had to repent for marrying him, but she did. We were in the wrong, and again, it was just God's grace. and And like I said, God gave Lisa a lot of wisdom. Um, you know, He blessed us with our daughter Rainy. Just a surprise. Uh, I fulfilled my commitment. You know, going to church as a family. Yes, six months later. Uh, we go to church, and um, 
Lisa had us in a good Bible-believing church where I would hear the gospel. And people, I would like to say, you know, I got to church and I heard the gospel and I was saved. That's not the case. I sat in church for five years. Five years. Actually, Rainey came to know the Lord before I did. She accepted Jesus when she was three. Five years. I mean, I was, my God was work. I was a classic workaholic. I mean, working 60, 70 hours a week was nothing. Lisa used to ask me, why do you work so much? And I'd say, well, it's for you and Rainey. That was a lie. I was working for me. I liked the compensation. I liked the success. I liked the authority. I liked the power. It was all about me. And it wasn't until God put problems in my work. In the early 90s, we were living in California at the time, and in the early 90s, California went through one of its rare recessions. And suddenly, I wasn't as successful as I had been up to this point. And there was a rumor around the company that they wanted to fire me. They wanted to get rid of me. And I said, whoa, I've poured my blood, sweat, and tears in this company for 18 years, and they want to throw me away like a used Kleenex. I says, I got my priorities mixed up. And I started listening at church. And Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. Rising up early, staying up late, toiling for food, but God grants rest to those he loves. And that spoke to me. That was me. I was working harder, and we, you know, we were doing worse. And then along with Matthew 11.30, where Jesus says, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. On November 17th, 1991, my wife's birthday, 13 days before I turned 40 years old, I repented of my sins and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And he set the priorities. It was him. It was Lisa. It was the kids. David had come along now. We had our second child. And it was then work. But he set the priorities in my life. And I did it on my wife's birthday because she had been so instrumental in leading me quietly to the Lord. Thirteen days before I turned 40. You know, men say, yeah, they got to change of life at 40. Talk about my change of life. Oh, man. I wish every man would have that change of life if he hadn't accepted Jesus by the age of 40. Well, I go through all that because at the time we were going through a church in California, an EV free of Laguna Hills, and one of the few guys that would witness to me was a guy by the name of Gary Wood. Now, Gary could be a little annoying, okay? He, you know, he would corner me sometimes after service, and he'd have these little index cards, and he'd be going over fact and feeling, or he'd have a track, and he'd be going, you know, and I, I was starting to get turned off by all this. You know, this is before I was saved. And Gary and I played on the softball team together. I was the only unbeliever in the church softball team. You know, they were all praying for me. I didn't have a clue they were praying, praying for me, you know. And... One, I missed the game, probably because of work. And uh, the next Sunday, Gary shows up at church. His jaw is wired shut, right? And I'm thinking, great, oh, man. <laughs> and I said, Gary, what happened? And through clenched teeth, 
He says, well, I was coaching first base, and the opposing shortstop overthrew the first baseman, and the ball cracked me on the jaw, and I'll be like this for six weeks. And I'm going, thank you. <laughs> well, after I accepted the Lord, I, I told Gary, I thought that was, that, uh, that, that, that was the sovereignty of God. You know, it was kind of like God saying, okay, Gary, you've shared the gospel with him. You've done your job. Now, let me do mine. And the thing, I I go through all that because I want you to know, Gary Wood was the head of our jail ministry at EV Free of Laguna Hills. Landmark number one. And he's he goes, Bob, you're coming to jail with me. And I'm going, Gary, I don't know anything. You know, I had just started reading the Bible. He says, that's all right. You just come and you just tell them what your life was before Jesus and why you accepted Jesus and what your life is after Jesus. That's good. You know. And he dragged me to jail. Besides making me tell every family at a church picnic individually that I'd accepted the Lord. You know, he dragged me to each family. But that was landmark number one. He had me in jail. And this wasn't a real jail. This was like a work farm. These people were on their way out of the system. It was very low security. Well, ultimately, I get demoted. And the demotion includes moving to Dallas-Fort Worth because our home office was in Las Colinas. And uh, we moved to Las Colinas. But before we did, the church in California said, hey, we had another couple just moved to Dallas. You need to call them. And we called them, and they were living in Colleyville, and they said, you need to try our church, Countryside Bible Church in Southlake. And we did, and this was in May of 1991. We got plugged in to Countryside Bible. This was May. In September 1991, one of the missionaries for Countryside Bible was Don Anderson, and Don Anderson was the head of the Tarrant County Jail Volunteer chaplaincy program all right and he came and spoke in september and he's looking for volunteers well landmark number two so i said well i got a little bit of experience maybe i can do this and that was 29 years ago 29 years this september i have been in jail okay uh, i tell the inmates sometimes i have more time in jail than they do and they say yeah but we're here 24 7 you know so don't don't give me uh, Initially, they they assigned me, and I'm going to use a term here that I have to explain. They assigned me a tank, okay? A tank is a a, a set of inmates. It's like a pod. The Tarrant County calls them pods. They're uh, a group of inmates in one big cell, and they're called tanks because the inmates say they feel like a fish in a fish tank, so they call them tanks. And my first tank was in the old jail. Now, the old jail was bad. It was bad. Um, matter of fact, the first night I came home, I told Lisa, this is a real jail, you know. <laughs> and uh, what, how they were set up in the old jail was there would be a number of tanks, and there would be a catwalk around them. And they all had, like, one opening or two openings that we would teach in. We would stand on the catwalk, and we'd teach in. And my opening in my tank was the bathroom. So I was teaching into a bathroom, okay? These guys would come in, and they'd flip the lids down on the commode and sit and listen to me, you know? I don't know if Wayne's ever taught in a bathroom, but, man, you know, I, I have. 
And, I mean, it was, these guys could smoke. I came home smelling like smoke all the time. It was terrible. One time I had my Bible open, and uh, I had them leaning it against the bars, and a cockroach runs across my Bible, you know. Another time, uh, an inmate, a couple tanks up, he was acting up, and at that time they would pepper spray him to calm him down. Well, they pepper sprayed him. Well, the ventilation system was so bad in the old jail, it gets, it gets caught up in the ventilation system, okay? And I'm teaching, and all of a sudden, it's like I'm eating cotton. I mean, and my eyes are tearing up, and, you know, and the inmates know exactly what's happened. And, and they're, they're going to get me water. Well, their cups are too big to fit through the bars, so they can't bang the bars with their cups, you know. So they're trying to get me water, and I got my lips up against the uh, the bars, you know. And the jailers were very apologetic. They, oh, we forgot you were back here. Yeah. But, um, you know, what we found in jail ministry, it's a lot of salvation, 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 call for salvation, and, and that's great. And, but these guys do not know what God expects of them, how to live their life. And what we try to do, we, we have five books of the Bible that we rotate through. We start with the Gospel of John, and we go to Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, James, 1 John. We go through them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all right? And we spend a week on—these are their lessons— all right, we hand these out. These are self-contained lessons, meaning they, they have the Bible, Scripture, they have the Scripture on the front and part of the second page, and then they have a Bible study for them, and then they have an in, some insights and a memory verse, and, and we give them these lessons. These are their lessons. They can get a Bible from the chaplaincy office. They get one Bible a year, um, and, um, but they don't need a Bible to do this Bible study. And we give them these, and we spend one week on each of these lessons. And the part of Scripture that I refer to most in the jail ministry is something I want to share with you today. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, 16 through 25. 16 through 25. And the reason that I go to this scripture quite a bit for the inmates, because this is their struggle. This is their struggle. In verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, the reason we go to this in verse 16, it says, but I walk by the Spirit. 
You may not realize there's only four commands in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. Two are positive, two are negative. The two positives, one is here, walk, or Paul uses live, he uses it interchangeably. And, of course, we know Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the two positives. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We all, when we come to Christ, we all get 100% of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. You don't get part of a person, right? When Lisa and I got married, we got all of us. We got 100% of each of us, right? You know, and we get 100% of the Holy Spirit. It's that old question, does the Holy Spirit have 100% of you? And, of course, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 16, you will walk by the Spirit. That word walk in the Greek is peripateo. It means conduct it's a daily conduct it's a habit it's your character it's the way that you you know live your you live your life and he says in verse 16 but walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh there's your victory that's what we teach the inmates there's your victory right there if you are filled with the holy spirit and walk by the spirit you won't have victory over the flesh but look at verse six, 17. He, he tells us that the struggle isn't over. I mean, you still have this struggle. He says, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's a struggle going on. There's a struggle going on in each of the inmates. There's a struggle going on in each of us between the flesh and the spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit has reborn us, and there's a struggle. You know, for lack of a better illustration, I try to get an illustration that inmates will understand. And I tell them, it's like two dogs fighting within you. And I says, if you feed one dog and you starve the other dog, ultimately, who's going to win in a dog fight? All right. And I have to say ultimately because inmates thinking – they all, somebody will always say, well, it's the one you starve, he's hungrier, he's, you know, he's meaner. And, no, no, in the long run, which one is going to win in a dogfight? What's well, one that you feed, right? It's one you feed. I says, you guys are starving, okay, the spirit. You're feeding the flesh. You should see what they watch on TV. I mean, it's like WWE Raw. I mean, it would be the last thing I'd want to watch if I was separated from my loved one. Huh? I said, you guys, watch what you shouldn't be watching. You read what you shouldn't be reading. You think about things you shouldn't be thinking about. You talk about things you shouldn't be talking about. Guess what you're doing? You're feeding the flesh. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Right? When we grieve the Holy Spirit, what it is, we're, he's telling us not to do things, and we're doing them. Right? It's kind of like he's saying, uh, no, 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 and the flesh or our sinful nature is saying, yes, 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 yes. Right? And then you quench the power of the Holy Spirit. That comes from Ephesians 4.30, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. But we quench the power of the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's like the Holy Spirit saying, yes, 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 do that. And we're saying, no, 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 I don't have time. I'm too busy. And I said to the inmates, when you get out, you're not going to have any power to overcome temptation in your life. Temptation is going to come, and you're going to be like some big fish. You're going to just suck it up hook, line, and sinker. And you go right back into jail. 
but then I show them the opposite is true, right? The opposite is we feed the Spirit within us. How do we feed the Spirit in it within us? We're in this Word, right? As Bill Butterworth said, we're listening to this Word. We're praying. We're around other believers. Believe it or not, there's believers in jail. I says, you know, get yourself, form a prayer chain, study the Word of God. You don't need me or another volunteer to explain it to you. Sit down and read it together. Feed the Holy Spirit within you. When you get out, you get into a good Bible-believing church. And I says, then you'll have power, the power of God that when temptation comes along, you'll be able to say no. You'll be able to live a victorious life. Well, Paul goes. Paul ends that verse, so you may not do the things that you please. It's certainly a passing pleasure to sin or, or pleasing the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. When we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need the law. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that teaches us, right? He's the one that convicts us when something is wrong. The law just defines sin. It doesn't change lives. Only the Holy Spirit changes our lives. And in verse 19, he says, he describes the flesh. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That word, going back to first, immorality, of course, we know that's pornonia. We get our word pornography from it. I mean, it's sex outside of marriage. It's homosexuality. It's what we watch on our electronic devices. It's pornography. Do you realize they say that pornography is a $12 billion industry in this country? And they think that's way low because people don't admit to buying this kind of stuff, or people don't admit to selling this kind of stuff. They think it may be as high as $97.1 billion industry of pornography. The next one, he says, impurity. Impurity could be, it really comes from the Old Testament, unclean. Uh, I mean, it's, it goes back to when you had a rash, and you had to go to the priest and show him your rash, and the priest would have to make a judgment if it was clean or unclean, and if it was contagious, he would say it's unclean, and you were separated from the nation of Israel, and you, you couldn't worship God. You couldn't approach God if you were unclean. And it wasn't until the priest declared you clean, you couldn't come back. Next, sexuality. I mean, could we live in a society that's more sexually driven than our society? I mean, you can't watch movies. You can't watch TV. Uh, I mean, you can't even look at your iPhone or, 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 you know, electronic device without these sensual advertisements popping up. Sensuality is all over, all over our society. Then he says sorcery or idolatry. I mean, anything before God. We live in an age where there's more idols than any any time before. I mean, we have the idols of possessions. We have the idols of workers I struggled with. We have the uh, idols of education. 
Look at the idols of pride. I, I'm even going to get real, real here. We have the idols of children. Now, children are a gift from God. Don't get me wrong. But our society has suddenly, not suddenly, it's been a long, evolved thing, but our families have become children-centered. Even our Christian families have become children-centered. They're not Christ-centered any longer. We need to center our families on Jesus Christ. Then he goes on sorcery. You know that word in the Greek sorcery is pharmakia. We get our word pharmacy. This could be drugs. I mean, we're not talking. We're not talking illegal drugs. We're talking illegal drugs and legal drugs. Abuse of legal drugs. I saw on the internet that uh, drug addiction cost the U.S. economy 151.4 billion dollars a year. Most of my guys in jail, it's drugs. It's either drugs or alcohol, really. And some of them started with alcohol and then it went to drugs. Now, look how many of these have to do with us just not getting along. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outspurts, events, anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envious. This is not – look at verse 15 of Galatians 5. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you know not consume by one another. Or as James writes in James 4.1, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures, your flesh, that you wage war in your members? We don't get along. And, and when you think about jealousy and envy in that list, I mean, when Paul was being, the Apostle Paul was being accused of being kind of a JV apostle, all right, by some false apostles. He wrote in Corinthians, he says, whoever compares themselves with themselves is not wise. Now, we're not to compare ourselves with our neighbors or other things. We're not to have jealousy or envy. And then he goes, Verse 21, drunkenness and carousing. I kind of hit on alcohol, but, I I mean, alcohol is a a huge problem in our society. Huge problem. Again, the Internet says that it is estimated that it costs U.S. companies $191.6 billion in lost work and health care and other expenses due to alcohol abuse. And again, my inmates, it's alcohol and drugs, 90% of them. And then in verse 21, he says, like these, okay, he's talking about, this isn't an exhaustive list, people. There's more. And he says, of which I forewarned you. He forewarned you when he was visiting the church at Galatia. And I forewarn you now through this letter that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, don't miss that word, practice. We all struggle with these things. We all fall back in these things. Practice is the Greek word prosos. It's very close to the meaning of walk. It's it's a habit. It's your conduct. It's your character. These people are not struggling with these sins. This is Ephesians 2.1. They're dead in their trespasses. 
I mean, they're justifying their sin. They're excusing their sin sin away. They're not trying to to break this this sin. He goes he goes on that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. In, in Romans, Paul writes, if you're living according to the flesh, he doesn't use the word practice, he, words, he uses the word living. If you're living according to flesh, you must die. But if you are living by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. I mean, he breaks it down there in Romans eight twelve through 13. But then the opposite is true. Look at verse 22. This is, our, this is the hope. This is the hope of the inmates. This is our hope also in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's one piece of fruit here. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. It's like a bunch of grapes. You get it all. Uh, and it starts out with love, the Greek word agape, unconditional love. Right? That's loving the unlovable. That's loving the unlikable. That, that's no conditions to the love. Uh, if it's a bunch of grapes, love is kind of the vine that holds that other, those other grapes together. They all kind of flow out of love. These are all godly characteristics. But they all kind of flow out of flow out of love and that's why jesus when asked what the greatest commandment was he says you're to love your neighbor as yourself he says you love god with all your heart mind and soul and you love your neighbor as yourself on these two hang all the law and the prophets i mean he said a new commandment i give to you love one another as i've loved you you must love one another then all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another you get that down you've fulfilled two-thirds of your bible you're done. I mean, Paul says, well, he, he says it here. He says in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans thirteen ten, he says, love is the film fulfillment of the law. He says, hope, love, and I'm missing the third one, hope, faith. The greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. See, I, I, knew, I knew faith was a secondary one. He, he says, love. And then he says, joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is something deep inside us. We can be happy that, you know, we got a good doctor's report. We can be happy that we got a raise at work. But that's based on circumstances. Circumstances change. Joy does not. It's deep. It's knowing that you're a child of God, that you had a Savior paid for your sin and died and buried and rose again, and that your eternal destiny is, in, is with Him. That's joy. That doesn't change. Nothing t- takes that from the hand of the Lord. It's set. That never changes. If we've been placed in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing, why do we go around in the dumps? Now, I'll give you an illustration. I, I got this from Philip de Corsi. There was an archbishop by the name of Gavin Reed. His diocese was in the late 1800s. He had a young, young boy, had a terrible accident when he was one year old, shattered his backbone, shattered his backbone. And Gavin Reed went to see him, and he interviewed him. 
And he asked the boy, how old are you now? He said, I'm 17. He says, of those 17 years, how many of the, do you think you've spent in the hospital? He said, 13. Now, this boy was known for his joy. He was known for his love of God. He was known for his love of his Savior. Gavin Reed asked him a tough question. He said, is God fair? And the boy lit up. His eyes brighten up. He says, the way I look at it, sir, he's got all the eternity to make it up to me. You know, I don't know what kind of hand life has dealt you. might be a lousy hand. But I can tell you this. God has all of eternity to make it up to you. Yeah. That's joy. And then there's peace. It's, it's the peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We were enemies of God. Romans 5.10, and he adopted us as children. Now, I know as Christians, we're not supposed to have enemies, right? But I want you to think of the person you dislike the most. All right? And then I want you to adopt them. I want you to bring them in your house. I want you to feed them, clothe them. You meet all their expenses. All right? You love them unconditionally. That's what God did for you and I. That's what he did for you and I. That's how much we have a God that loves us so much, that we're justified by our faith. We have peace with God. And then we have the peace of God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind, Christ Jesus. That guard is a military term. God's peace guards your heart. But he asks you to do some things before that. Do not be anxious about nothing. Anxious is worry. No, Christians, we look at worry as a small sin, right? but it's a sin. It's not trusting God. Actually, it could be, it could be translated double-minded. What does James r- r- tell about a double-minded person? He's unstable in all his ways. Right? He's like the surf of the sea, tossed to and fro. I mean, we're fretting, we're worrying, we're stressing out, we're losing s- sleep. It's, it's not concern. We can be concerned about things. This is, we're, we're using strength. As Corey Timboon says, we're using today's strength for tomorrow's issues. And many of those issues never even take place. And, and when they do take place, many of them are not near as bad as what we worried about. The peace of God will transcend and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus We're not to be anxious. We're not to be worried. We have that peace. Cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. And don't go pick him up five hours later. Okay? Leave him there. You do the best you can, and you leave him there. And then he says patience. Oh, now we're getting real, real. Patience with others. Patience with our circumstances. I mean, literally could be translated long-suffering. God is long-suffering. He wants all men to come to knowledge and and to repent. 
He wants none to perish. He was long-suffering with me. He's long-suffering for a lot of unbelievers. We are to be long-suffering. And then, he, and then it talks about kindness. Kindness is, is concern, compassion for other people. Before you shoot that text, before you shoot that email, remember there's another person on the other side of that receiving it. Okay. Be concerned about that person. Now, how is this going to be received? Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, With all, uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one as other as more important than yourself, and do not merely look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. It's okay to look out for your own interests. But remember, there's other people in the world. The world doesn't revolve around us. Revolves around God. I had to. I had to remember that I didn't always have to get my way. My way wasn't always the best way. I had to let other people try things. And and then he he goes goes on kindness. Kindness is is just. Uh, just being concerned. I mean, our Lord showed kindness. Then he, his his cousin gets beheaded, John the Baptist. He's with his disciples. They're in a boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're trying to find a remote place. And what they, Mark says, they get out of the boat, and the multitudes are waiting for him. And he has concern and compassion. And he says they're like a sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He he teaches them. He heals them. He feeds them with five barley loaves and two loaves of fish, or two fish. He had kindness, goodness. Goodness can be uh, translated moral excellence. How's our moral excellence when we're alone? Now I'm preaching to myself. How's your moral excellence in your thought life? Whoa. Scripture says in Proverbs, "As a man thinks, so he is." That's convicting. And then he goes on faithfulness. Romans 1.17 says, the righteous live by faith. Romans 14.23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. It goes back to that worry. It's not trusting God. Gentleness. Gentleness in the Greek is hard to, hard to translate. You usually need more than one word in the English. And, and uh, I mean, we've heard it as strength under control, and there's certainly no, nothing wrong with that um, translation. But... It's sweet reasonableness. It's relenting, even though you might be right. Our Lord was gentle. When he caught the woman in adultery, he says, where are all your accusers? Well, they're all gone, sir. Well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He addresses her sin. He's gentle. We need to be gentle. Are we gentle when we encounter a homosexual? Are we gentle when we encounter somebody that's pro-abortion? I mean, we can disagree with them. But are we gentle? And then then he says, self-control. Well, just turn it around. Control self. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Right? And look at verse, he says, in such things there is no law. Well, right now in our country, there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit, but that may change. But you don't 
get it from the law either. In verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It's Mark 8.34, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Crucify that self. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We crucify the flesh with passions, not perfectly. We still fall back on those deeds of the flesh, but we're not dominated by it. And then he goes in verse 25, we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That we have, if we feed the Holy Spirit within us, we can live a victorious life. We can walk that our conduct is, is worthy of our God. Well, as you well can imagine, it's a struggle for inmates. I don't know what you know about our reentry program. It's not really much of a program, to be honest with you. Our judicial system is structured to keep inmates in prison. 80% of inmates return to prison. Now, the good news is only 40% of professing Christians return to prison. But these guys have a felony on their record. They can't get a job. The county charges them every time they go to see their parole officer. Every time they have a drug or an alcohol test, if they have to wear an ankle bracelet to monitor their drug or alcohol in their blood, they pay for that. If they have to have a breathalyzer on their car, they pay for that. Where are these guys going to get this, this money? They've already tapped out all their relatives and tapped out all, all their friends. They, they don't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, they just go back to their life of crime. And here's where we come in, because we suggest, hey, when you get out, you get into a good Bible-believing church. You let those people know where you've been. You let those people know what your struggles are. You let the Holy Spirit now work in those people in the body of Christ to rally around you. Maybe someone will give you a job. Maybe somebody will hold you accountable. You know, these guys need to change their circle of friends. That now maybe some of those people in the church will befriend them. See, the only way to live a victorious life for an inmate and for us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Feeding the Holy Spirit and having the body of Christ being part of the body of Christ, right? Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through Christ. I, um, our prayer request for the jail ministry, you know, COVID took a big chunk on We were out of jail for two years and 12 days. And they don't have any other religious services. That's it, okay? And we're finally back. We went back March 12th of this year. COVID's raised its ugly head again. I think last Tuesday we had nine tanks closed due to COVID. The Green Bay facility, which is out by 820 and 35, it was completely shut down. Just pray that they don't shut the program down again. The other prayer request is, um, you know, on Tuesday nights, if you're like, May I struggle when we say grace around the table. It almost seems like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. 
But on Tuesday nights, would you pray for us to go into jail? We go into jail about 6.30 on Tuesday nights. Pray for us. All right. And uh, we always need Bibles. I mean, if you have paperback Bibles at home that you're not using, um, you know, we can use them. Bring them in. Give them to Miss Lisa. I'll pick them up after I'm done with the third and fourth graders. Um, but a couple things have to be paperback. No hard covers because they tear off the covers and use them as weapons. Okay? No. Yeah, or softback. Yeah, paperback or softback. And um, make sure all personal information's out of them. Make sure the ribbons are out of them, okay? Cut them off because they can strangle somebody with them, or if they get enough of them, they can hang themselves with them, all right? And, and this is, and you may know somebody that has a printing shop or, or would be willing to do this. Uh, these lessons, the county only gives us 100 of these, and we see more than 100 inmates on Tuesday night. And, you know, we could use somebody that print. 25 or 50 of these i mean when we see inmates some of them want back lessons because if they do these they they do five they get a little certificate saying they're coming coming to bible study and it's big to them it's a big deal i want to leave you i gotta find my phone this plaque sits on the porch of where the Tarrant County Jail is at 100 North Lamar. That's the facility I go into and the other volunteers go into. Let me read it to you. It was, it's the Tarrant County Historical Society. It's got a picture of a wagon train on it. First Church, 1855. Christian Church. A.W. Dean and Wandering Harvest Hand Preacher. That site was a church back in 1855 where they have the jail now and i'm reminded in matthew 16 18 where our lord said the gate of hades will not prevail against my church jesus is fulfilling his promise he's still sending people in there giving the gospel giving the word of god giving those guys hope that they can live a different life. And people are being saved there. Jesus is fulfilling his promise. Close with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we don't know where to start to thank you. You are a great God. As our pastor says, you're an awesome God. And you're God that loves us with an everlasting love, a love that we don't even comprehend. Nothing can break it. Nothing can change it. And Father, we thank you for indwelling us with the Holy Spirit, who is our helpmate, who is our counselor, who is our power source, to live a life that's different, to live a life that's pleasing to you. I lift up the Tarrant County Jail Ministry. I pray, Lord, that that you would keep it open. I pray for the inmates that we see that you would open their hearts and open their minds through the good news of Jesus Christ, and they would know that they can live. They don't have to spend the rest of their lives in and out of jail, that they can live a life that's pleasing to you. You said, I come to give them life so they may have it more abundantly. It's a time of salvation. 
Father, we just pray that you open their hearts and open our minds to that, that message. Father, as we go, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us, strengthen us, allow us to feed the Spirit, and allow us to let our light shine brightly, that people would realize that you are indeed the God and Savior. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bob. What a blessing that was. I, I think you passed the audition. <laughs> passed the audition. Yeah. yeah. Come back and talk to us again. That was great. I hope you all have a blessed week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.